All right, and I'm joined here today with Jason Yeager. Uh, we're talking about his new release that just came out in early October, uh, just two weeks now, I think, on uh, New Songs of Resistance. And thanks so much for coming today, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, man, this is a this is a really interesting record. First off, like I I, I love the music. I Thank think you. that goes without saying. Like we don't release things that we think are bad. <laughs> um, but man, talk a little bit about it because it's also really unique artwork like the artwork itself kind of has that vibe of like when you watch a um like a show where you look at artwork of like like maybe even ayn rand inspired stuff or like communism russia or or that whole scare of the cold war and whatnot so what was kind of the idea behind this moving forward uh sure yeah um well you know the 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 content definitely is political but it really started with uh, a love of the Nueva Cancion tradition, which is a folk music tradition that emerged in Chile and uh, Argentina in the 1950s and 1960s, basically incorporating indigenous uh, musical instruments and folk forms um, and bringing those into the cities. And initially more of a popular music movement, it then became quite politicized in the face of um, American imperialism and uh, right-wing repressive dictatorships. Um, and uh, so, for example, two of the songwriters that were most inspirational to me in crafting this album were Violeta Parra and Victor Jara, and I do uh, two of their songs on the record. Um, and they, especially Victor Jara, was really a symbol for, um, you know, uh, uh, collective action on the part of ordinary people against um against forces that were really trying to repress people's freedom of expression and and economic advancement and um so i felt like in many respects the although this folk music movement moved me musically it also moved me socially and politically and in the face of the sort of uh, environment that we find ourselves in now with you know uh, some pretty extreme populism uh, particularly on the right flourishing around the world um, it's very concerning to me as a human being, first and foremost. And I found inspiration in the example set by artists like like Victor Jara, like Violeta Parra. Um, on a musical level, I really wanted to explore uh, a texture that would sort of integrate um, chamber music writing with jazz improvisation. And uh, so a few of the pieces are, uh, several of the pieces are scored for clarinet and flugelhorn and cello along with rhythm section and voice uh, because I thought this this texture would give me a lot of colors and moods and ways of um, arranging the song without getting in the way of the lyric or the or the singer um, and so uh, that's sort of how the the record started and then uh, I found uh, I, I found myself inspired to write contemporary jazz compositions in uh, that you know were sort of uh, inspired by the the original Nueva Cancion pieces, um, so that the final product is is a mix of my uh, arrangements of music by Violeta Parra, Victor Jara, also Leon Gieco, and the Brazilian songwriter Chico Buarque, combined with my own compositions that owe a debt of of creative inspiration to those songwriters. And uh, there are three different singers on the record who are equally powerful and incredible, um, Irini, 
from Greece, uh, Mirela Costa from Brazil, and Farai Malik from the United States. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the artwork. The artwork is very powerful. And um, uh, I would actually say that uh, it's interesting that it, it, it does maybe evoke um, uh, things from the right and the left, like uh, Russian communism and Ayn Rand, but it's not meant to be uh, in solidarity with either of those ideologies. Really, it's more about um, both paying homage to the causes of um, of uh, freedom movements in in South America in the in the seventies, um, and also to our 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 fights today. You know, supporting causes like uh, Black Lives Matter and a Green New Deal and universal health care. And, you know, I, I tend not to be overtly political in, in my music uh, most in most cases, um, but I feel like we're living in extraordinary times. And that's why I think the record uh, musically and also uh, in terms of the cover artwork is uh, is pretty evocative in that way. Yeah, I mean, man, look, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. And I think we're going to I'm going to try and go through all this because <laughs> Uh, like I said, like I'm, I'm looking at the artwork right now and it's really interesting. You know, like you did mention, uh, you know, the whole like black lives matter movement and the green new deal and everything. And like, you can see that incorporated, which in a really cool way on it, uh, in the way of like almost, uh, like to me, when I see it, it looks like the stamps that you would get on like an import or, or like a passport right? or something on the artwork. Sure. Yeah. I have to, I have to give credit where credit is due. The artist is, uh, Jamie Brewick. I think, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. He has a company called b-side graphics and he's done a lot of work with outside in previously um and uh, he just he he came up with that concept and it, uh, you know i gave him some notes and and suggestions uh, once i saw the basic design but he really he real he really nailed it um in terms of sort of uh capturing the the vibe of the music uh visually and also the it, also the vibe of the context in which the music was recorded in the context in which uh, it'll be heard. Well, and it's very interesting. So personally, I like I love the the first track on the album. You like there's, you. there's a lot of stuff I listen to on it, you know. But mm -hmm. that's one that steps out to me. And it was interesting that you were talking about um, chamber writing because it's yeah. something that has been a little bit more, uh, I guess, present on my mind recently. Mm. Um, I did Ravinia this past summer, and Billy Childs's uh, group was there. His, oh wow. Uh, his new music ensemble where he like writes for harp and everything. And so like that's certainly chamber involved, but it almost gave off uh, something that people might know a little bit more of where it sounds like, uh, like the fellowship band, like Brian blades project. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting analogy. And uh, I wasn't necessarily um, aware of that, of that uh, influence consciously, but of course I've listened to that group and, and I really admire um, uh Brian Blade's writing and John Coward's writing and, and, and the sounds that they get, the way that they take, you know, not a large, not necessarily a huge band, but they create a big sound by virtue of the yeah. way that they play together and write for that kind of ensemble. And um, I think in, in the instrumentation I had, you know, uh, uh, clarinet slash bass clarinet, um, cello and flugelhorn, I was trying to get, you know, a member of the strings family, a member of the reeds family and a member of the brass family. So evoking the orchestra with minimal numbers of people and trying to bring out that, um, that orchestral vibe in a relatively small group context. It also, it maybe um, harkens back to, you know, what Herbie Hancock was trying to do with speak like a child to take 
what he had learned from Miles' work with Gil Evans and and those arranging techniques, but doing it in a in a small chamber like ensemble. Yeah, I, I completely agree because you know listening to it, like I think some of the things that brought out immediately to like Brian Blade was the use of like bass clarinet and clarinet, mm-hmm. and that sure, was like one of the sure. first instances where I was like, oh, this is very prominent and. Even talking about the instrumentation you chose, there's such a, a wide range. I feel of like colors that you yeah. can get from that, because right. the clarinet and, and and you know flugelhorn and whatnot can certainly be bright, but also like with bass clarinet and clarinet that that can be some of the darkest textures you want, but not in like a heavy sense. So right. it's it's an awesome balance all the way through, man. Thank you, I appreciate that. And again, you know, I you know while I wanted to be very free to be creative with the arrangements. And, you know, I, in some cases, I changed the meter, I changed the form, I, I altered the harmonies. I still didn't want to take away from the song and the lyric. I want to serve the song and the lyric. I mean, the record is right. called New Songs of Resistance. And although the songs are in, um, you know, Spanish and Portuguese, and there are a couple in English as well, uh, I wanted the lyric to really be central. And so uh, I felt like, as you were saying, there are a wide range of moods and colors in that instrumentation, but it's it's it, done right. It can be done in such a way that it doesn't obscure what the song is trying to say. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, okay. I got a couple questions for you. Moving sure. forward from that. Would you, um, how would you feel if someone described this album as a song cycle to you? That's a really interesting thought. I mean, I, I guess I'd be honored. I think, uh, that would suggest a, a certain coherence that I, I, I certainly hope it has. Um, I suppose the way it came about, it sort of came about in two or three phases. So I didn't necessarily uh, start out with the goal of a song cycle per se. You know, I had the original Nueva Cancion songs that I selected and loved, and I arranged those. And while I was arranging those, I began composing my own pieces that sort of pay homage to that tradition, but through a more contemporary lens and sound. Um, and then, and then there was a second re- day of recording about, uh, four months later when I recorded a couple more originals. Um, but I, 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 I appreciate that. And, um, song cycle is an interesting way to look at. It. I mean, when I think of song cycle, I usually think of a, you know, one composer and one set of songs. But, uh, on the other hand, I also think of a unified theme and collection of songs. And in, in that second sense, uh, this, I guess you could say this is a sort of a song cycle. Um, although I didn't write all the songs, um, I right. have to, right. yeah, I have to acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly like, you know, we'll, we'll cover our bases there, but it's just, it was, uh, something like just as we were sitting here talking about it and, and listening to you, uh, talk about your, your thoughts behind it. Something is something that right. like, clicked, you know, back from general music history or whatever. Right. Um, Absolutely. So here's another question. So you did uh, the whole undergrad master's thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. You did your undergrad at NEC and then your master's at the Berkeley uh, Global Institute that just started up not too long ago, I don't think, right? Yeah, that's correct. And um, so I, I did my I did my undergrad at uh, in New England Conservatory and Tufts University. Um, okay. They have a joint program. And the reason I mentioned that is it was through Tufts that I ended up studying abroad in Argentina. And it was in Argentina that I discovered uh, this music. And in particular, the, the song that made a really big impact on me was um, Cinco Siglos Igual by Leon Gieco. And uh, that, that a version of that appears on my record. Um, Cinco Siglos Igual means five centuries unchanged. 
And it basically, in very stark and, and moving uh, terms, chronicles the, the plight of Latin America from the perspective of colonialism and, uh, and the damage that that kind of colonialism has really done. Um, uh, if folks are interested in reading the lyrics, if you don't speak Spanish and you want to check out the lyrics in English on uh, jasonyeager.com uh, underneath my blog, which is under a heading called Musings, um, they can read the lyrics, um, both in the original Spanish and in English. Uh, but there was that song that I heard while studying abroad as an undergraduate um, uh, in Buenos Aires that really turned me on to the Nueva Cancion or New Song movement. Uh, fast forward almost 10 years, and I, I had already been teaching at Berkeley College of Music in the piano department. And while I was teaching there, they started this master's program uh, led by Danilo Perez and, and Marco Pinataro. Uh, called the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute. And it was, uh, I enrolled, I applied and, and was accepted to that master's program. And it was actually my thesis project, uh, my final thesis for that master's degree, that was the, the core of this record, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. The recording session, the, the primary recording session was uh, during my master's program. And then I did some, uh, some additional recording um, and of course, mixing and mastering and all the post-production uh, after that point. Um, but so that's where that all comes about. And in the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute, there really is this ethos of um, interdisciplinary uh, work, um, you know, uh, finding the ways in which music and society intersect, exploring traditions from outside your comfort zone, um, bringing the improvisational and risk-taking sensibility of jazz to a variety of uh, let's say world music idioms. So it was kind of a, an ideal program for me to explore some of the interests that I've had for a long time. Um, not to mention that uh, as an undergrad, uh, while I was studying music at NEC at Tufts, I was studying um, international relations and was really um, fascinated with the way in which the United States, our country, has uh, has has treated uh, much of Latin America and. Um, it's a very, very complicated uh, scenario that we don't have a lot of time to go into. Um, but suffice to say that the, the, the dictatorship in Chile uh, that rose under uh, General Pinochet in 1973, um, that was heavily supported by the United States. And uh, Victor Jara was um, sadly killed in that, in that incident. And uh, he's really become a symbol of, of uh, freedom fighters and, and peaceful um, democratic uh, resistance uh, to, to authoritarianism. And uh, I, his music is just astounding. So if, if people are not hip to uh, Victor Jara, I, I highly recommend checking him out. And um, the tune we do on, on the record of his is called Aquí Me Quedo, which is the fifth track. Yeah. So, okay, this, this might come off as a loaded question. Certainly not intended to. Oh, um, no worries. So what is your, your heritage? Like, what is your background? Yeah, um, my heritage is uh, uh, Jewish, German, Irish. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grab bag of Eastern and Western Europe. I am not, I am not Hispanic or Latino in any way. Um, I, I merely love the music and, um, uh, you know, spent time, spent about six months living in, in Argentina uh, and also spent... Um, between both NEC and Berkeley, spent about five years studying under Danilo Perez, who, who is, of course, from Panama, 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm, I, it's not part of my heritage. Um, it's merely a musical tradition that I love and um, continue to learn from and study uh, as I, as I move forward. Um, and I had some, I had an incredible rhythm section on the record that has a long and long standing and deep connection to that music. Uh, the bass player, Fernando Huergo, who is a, a colleague up at Berkeley with me. Um, he's a, an Argentine bassist and composer uh, who plays in Guillermo Klein's Guachos band. Um, and also Mark Walker, who uh, is a, you know, uh, in Paquito de Rivera's band in Oregon and, and plays with a lot of top uh, musicians uh, across the jazz and Latin jazz spectrum. He, he's also up at Berkeley. Um, and uh, those guys really uh, helped me a lot in, in, in getting ready for the session and, and, and establishing what kind of grooves worked in different places and, and so forth. So, you know, as someone that is not Hispanic yeah. and whatnot, was it um, intimidating to kind of get started in this? Like, what would be your advice for somebody to to start to explore this? Because I feel like unless you're someone like yourself or other people that come to mind would be like, you know, Dizzy when Dizzy was alive or like Brian Lynch, mm -hmm. um, who have spent a lot of time studying right. a variety of Hispanic music. And they're well informed on it. But for most people, you know, your exposure to Hispanic music is through the way of like standards. Totally. Um, yeah. So what, what is your advice to, to go into this with, you know, obviously like open mind without doubt, but it's, it's a large thing to, to do because there's so much variety and, and differences among, you know, whether it's, it is Brazil or whether it is Puerto Rican or whether it, you absolutely. Know, or what have you. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Right. I think that brings up a great point, which is to say, when we talk about Latin music or Hispanic music, that that's like saying American music, right? And mm -hmm. within that, there are so many traditions, both regional and ethnic and by country and within each country. And, you know, there's so many traditions and I don't, I don't pretend to be an expert in nearly all of it or, or maybe even any of it. But, um, uh, over the last several years and particularly during my time at the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute, I tried to gain a more in-depth study, not only of the musical elements, but of the historical context in which the musical arose. You know, so I was not only learning tunes off records, but I was, uh, you know, reading the the memoir by Joan Hada, Victor Hada's wife. I was uh, watched a wonderful uh, movie about Violeta Parra's life called uh, Violeta Goes to Heaven. I I read articles, both scholarly and more journalistic articles about the Nueva Cancion tradition. Um, there's a pretty good introductory article on the Smithsonian website about Nueva Cancion, for example. Uh, but I guess t speaking to other musicians who, um, you know, are maybe just approaching a musical tradition for the first time, I think if you go, if you approach it with humility and love for the music, um, you really can't go wrong and just be open to always learning. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm finished learning about this music. I don't feel like I know everything there is to know by, by a long stretch. And um, uh, I'm just continually trying to improve. And uh, I think, you know, I was also honest about uh, with myself about what I was trying to do with the record, which was, I, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to play these songs in a way that somebody who grew up with that music would play them. I'm trying to play them in the best way that I can from an honest standpoint as a, as a jazz musician, as a musician engaged in 
creative improvisation and 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 arranging and performing and um i'm paying tribute to these songwriters but i'm also sort of uh reinventing the songs or reimagining the songs uh for my own artistic purposes and i i hope that uh you know despite my not having latino heritage i hope that um the the love and respect i have deep respect i have for these traditions comes through in the music man that is that's that's a lot and i think I think you would agree, though, in no sense are we trying to undersell it as it's like, you know, something you can do in, in a year's worth of study. That's not at all. Right. Yeah. It's, totally. a, it's a large project. Absolutely. And, and you know, to, just to give a time frame, like the, my time living in Argentina was, uh, well, I guess I said this already, but my time there was in 2008 and this was recorded in 2018. Um, and that's not to say that this was like the the only music I was engaged in for 10 years, not even close. Oh, I don't know if you can hear that piano sound. That's my cat walking across the piano <laughs> keys. Uh, his name is Thelonious Monk, and fittingly, he likes to play a lot of seconds on the piano. Yeah, right, um, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's trying to get my attention. Hopefully, he'll be a good boy from now on. But anyway, um, he uh, so so yeah. So I, you know, it, it's it's been a long journey for me, um, and it's it's like studying any other musical tradition. You know, if you're studying jazz music or swing or or R&B or baroque music. I mean, it it takes time, it's an evolution, it's something that um uh one has to be patient with oneself in terms of developing the the aural and and musical skills uh needed to tackle a, a like a maybe a new genre or a new tradition. But you also I I my personal belief is that um you can be respectful but you can also be resourceful and be creative as you're learning you know, and, and say, well, okay, I understand how this music exists in a traditional form. And what can I bring to the music that is true to me and my, my experience. Um, and so in many respects, you know, I treated these tunes, even though they, they do have very particular cultural and historical origins. I also approached them kind of as though they were, uh, standards and some of them are standards in Latin America. Like, Mm. The very first track, Gracias a la Vida, is known all throughout Latin America. And I've had the great privilege at perform, of performing my arrangement of that song at uh, jazz festivals in the Dominican Republic and in Costa Rica. And uh, people love hearing that. And they love hearing what I've done with it. And I'm, you know, I'm proud and pleased that they don't, they don't at all feel like, why are you messing with our music? You know what I'm saying? That they, they actually I love know. hearing it in a new an invented, you know, adventurous way. It would be like when somebody hears um, maybe a like a, a a new version of the Gershwin's "Summertime" or or a new a new imagining of a Cole Porter tune. It's sort of that that kind of thing. So again, you know, this is a certainly a, a lengthier question than we probably have time for. But mm-hmm. when when you talked again about composing in in a in a chamber ensemble sense, yeah, right. And I would certainly, you know, I wouldn't describe any of these tunes on this record as like, here's a head and a solo and right. a solo and a head, you know. Right. Where, how did you work on studying that? Because it's interesting, like you're a pianist, so that certainly helps because you're used to, you know, multiple things going on at the same time and understanding yeah. voices inside and not really well. Yeah. But as far as like arranging for this sense, were there... You know, were there any books that you checked out? Were there 
specific records that you looked into? How, how did you approach that? Yeah, there, thank, that's a really good question. And I, I can give a, a couple of records that were, and, and artists that were very inspiring. Um, uh, Danilo Perez has an album called Motherland from about 2000. That's just an astounding integration of folkloric music from his native Panama with jazz and chamber music. And that's a record that I've been listening to for years and was definitely inspirational. Also, um, from a few years ago, um, Ed, Ed Simon's uh, Venezuela Suite was uh, impactful to me. Again, a, a record that merged, you know, folkloric forms from, in his case, Venezuela with uh, uh, chamber writing sensibility and also jazz improvisation. Um, so those were two important models. I think the music of Miguel Zenon over the last decade plus has been very impactful for me. Um, and uh, also uh, someone like, uh, this is a little bit different aesthetically, but Fred Hirsch's Leaves of Grass piece where he sets uh, the poetry of Walt Whitman to a chamber ensemble, a little bit bigger, like 11 piece chamber ensemble. Um, that too was inspiring. Like how can you create, combine a, a very song oriented work with jazz improvisation and a chamber aesthetic? And um, yeah, for the vast majority of the tunes, um, we don't merely just play the head take solos on the form and then play the head out. I wanted instead to have the piece tell more of a story in a song-like way, even when there are instrumental solos. Um, so, you know, having little interludes, having backgrounds, almost treating it like a small big band at times where, you know, um, behind the piano solo, the clarinet and the flugel and the cello might play some backgrounds behind me, or there might be a place where the rhythm section drops out, for example, and the voice is singing alone with merely the flugel and the clarinet and the cello. You know, even by taking away elements of the ensemble, you can actually enhance the range of textures and the range of moods that help tell your musical story. So, um, and I have to give credit to um, Bruno Rayberg, who's a wonderful uh, composer and arranger, um, lives up in Boston and teaches at Berkeley. And he, he was a co-producer of this album with me. And um, he gave me some great uh, arranging tips, um, more more on like a micro detail level, like how to introduce different voices from the ensemble, you know, uh, smoothly and how to bring in different elements and how to bring them in um, in a way that what didn't disrupt the flow of the music, how to take them out in a way that didn't disrupt the flow. Um, and then some larger structural ideas as well about like, well, you may, what if you, you know, on this piece, the, the song starts differently. You know, for example, um, one to the, the song I mentioned from Argentina, Cinco Siglos Igual, it's track number nine on the album. I had a real, that was the song that I have the longest relationship with. Like I've known that song and have been playing it since 2008 or 2009. And I had a real trouble arranging it for some reason at first, maybe because I already had kind of a default way that I played it. And I wanted to find something new and do something um, more ensemble driven and less piano driven with it, I guess you could say. Mm. And ultimately what I decided was, you know, this, these lyrics are so, they really hit my soul and my heart in a very deep way, talking about the suffering of an entire continent at the hands of colonialism and how that legacy has lasted five centuries. I mean, this is really heavy stuff. And the lyric is so um, cutting and, and potent and um, uh, what if I just start with the voice and the cello? 
So it's just like one obbligato cello line underneath the voice. And then on the second verse, I bring in the, the, the warm, you know, clarinet and flugel. And underneath that, um, the bass and the drums and the piano doesn't come in until around the bridge or actually a little interlude before the bridge. And this way I could sort of, by taking myself as a pianist out of the mix, it brought a new freshness to the arrangement for me. Uh, and, um, so I, I, that's another theme maybe to the record. I mean, I am a pianist and I do play on, on all the tracks, but I don't really feel like the, the album is about my piano playing. It's more about the songs themselves. Yeah, man, that's, that's interesting because it's, it, man, this, I like, I really enjoy doing these kind of interviews with, with artists because, um, as a musician, and I, I'm sure that you can relate to this, the most enjoyable moments for me were not necessarily the concerts checking out the musicians. Like, that's great and all, don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. it was like actually talking to them and hearing, you know, like, yeah, why do you do things the way you do? Like, why do you think the way you do? Yeah. I, you know, that's part of the, the hang. <laughs> that we all talk about and all enjoy and everything. Absolutely, man. And I, you know, I'm trying to, um, for example, uh, um, I'm, I'm going back to my alma mater Tufts university in, in, in February to not only give a concert of this music, but actually, um, give a lecture about it as well, because I feel like, um, it does help people. Um, not necessarily, I, I think you could appreciate and enjoy this music with zero context. Um, but I think there's a different way to enjoy and, and understand it if you know a little bit about what the musician's process was, uh, how they put into perspective, especially songs that have, you know, very specific lyrical content. Um, you know, Gracias a la Vida, the first track, the one that that song has been recorded by probably hundreds of different artists in hundreds of different ways. It's something of a Latin American standard. And it's not overtly political on the surface. It's about thank you to life that has given me these two eyes that has given me my hands, that has given me song, that has given me life itself, that has given me the person I love. You know, it's a very, it's almost a spiritual homily of sorts. And um, uh, it's, it's cool when people get to, even if they're not a Spanish speaker, they don't know the words, uh, when they know a little bit about the music and the process by which it was arranged for the ensemble, um, I think there's a, you know, I think audiences appreciate that. So, you know, I, it's not always appropriate at a, at a gig to do that, but I'm trying to find little ways, um, uh, it, you know, playing in different kinds of venues, you know, beyond the typical jazz club where I can introduce some of that content to folks. And, um, you know, for example, we're doing our first uh, CD release concert uh, at the Regatta Bar in Cambridge, Mass, um, next Wednesday, October 23rd. Uh, and that the the venue it's it's one long set and there's not like a lot of time for for chatting about the music and people it's a jazz club people are there to hear the music but i'm planning on having little programs with the lyrics translated into english because i think like i said this record it's new songs of resistance it's not jason yeager's piano playing you know what i mean so i want people to have some awareness of what these songs mean you know or could mean to people um, and so, uh, I appreciate you saying that, that, that you enjoy, um, you know, talking with artists about what their process is and how they approach the music. Cause I, I, I find that meaningful too. And I think especially with art music, with creative music, with jazz, um, it can, it can really be a bridge between musicians and non-musicians as well to help them, um, engage with the music in a more, more of a dialogue, you know? 
Yeah, I man, I agree. And I think I think that's a good note to to end on here. That's a good thought going forward, you know, uh, an idea of uh not only listening to the music for the face value of the music, you know, but an, an appreciation of uh, uh the the reason behind it and you know, really just an appreciation for for hell. I mean, like you get to do this. <laughs> like Yeah. You know, yeah. it's 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 uh we, it certainly is a daunting thing. I think we try and do, but it's something that I don't think any of us would ever, uh, you know, give up. Uh, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, thanks so much again for coming on, Jason, uh, to anyone checking this out, uh, feel free to go check out his record on, you know, Amazon, Spotify, um, iTunes. You can purchase the full record on Amazon and everything, uh, anywhere where it's out streaming. It's there. His show, uh, will be coming up. Uh, let's see. I think this podcast is going to be coming out Monday. So if you're listening Great. to this on Monday, his CD release show will be this Wednesday of this week in Cambridge, Mass. Um, assuming it's not all sold out by then. Who you know? Who knows, man? Who but, knows? Right? Yeah. Just go to regattabarjazz.com and and you can buy tickets in advance. It's definitely uh, recommended. And uh, this is the this CD release will be special. Much of the although I'm based in New York City, much of the band is in Boston. So we're gonna have the full ensemble um, uh, on hand with all the instrumentation and whatnot. Um, uh, so that that should be should be quite exciting. Yeah, and uh, thanks again, Jason. Thank you so much, Alan. 